the reading today comes from Ephesians 5. So if you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn there. Um, if not, it's going to be coming up on the screen during the preach. But Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 32. Verses 15 to 32. And this is what it says. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ." Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Dear Lord Jesus, as we dive into this, uh, this sermon, I pray that as Ian shares, um, that he would be your mouthpiece. He'd be your servant. I pray that his words would be your words, that you would use him. And ultimately, as a church, the way that we do relationships, the way that we do marriage would be exactly in line with your perfect word. And as a result, we would shine brightly to people of who you really are. Your powerful name we pray. Amen. 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 Wives, submit to your husbands and respect your husbands. Quite a controversial uh, passage that we're coming to today, something that's probably a little bit confusing. And I'm hoping that as we spend some time looking at it, that all will become clear. And so please just give me a chance. Don't throw any rotten tomatoes at me um, until we get to the end. If you still feel like it, you want to do it at the end, then you're welcome to. <laughs> but we'll see how we go. What I'd like to do is just to build a, a bridge in today's, into today's topic by doing a little bit of recapping. And what I've been reflecting on on the last few days since we had an elders meeting on, on Wednesday, because Tony shared something, he was talking about how our lives on earth are very short and insignificant in comparison to eternity. So if, you're, if your life is like a marble, then eternity is like the entire universe. And the problem is that as human beings, we, we tend to... I suppose major on the minor, we focus on things that are not important and we don't keep the main things the main thing. And that's the main thing that we need to do, isn't it? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
And so that's what we're going to be um, having a look at here very briefly as a recap and as a way of building a bridge. Verses 15 to 21 are about keeping our lives on target. And we do it for two reasons. First of all, so that we don't undermine the unity of harvest. And that's because God has set it up in such a way that we have the most impact on the world around us when we are operating as a body. So we don't want the unity of the body to be compromised. And then the second reason is that we don't want to give the lost an excuse to... to ignore Christ. So both of those things are incredibly important because if we want to enjoy an eternal reward, then we need to be working with God's family and we need to be bringing people into God's family because that, that's what our reward is going to be. When we get to heaven, it's going to be about um, extending, in a sense, the quality of the relationships that we've enjoyed on earth. That's what the reward will look like. It'll be spending time with people who were impacted on earth by us. And that's where the excitement and the joy is going to come in. But how do we keep our lives on target? First of all, lives on target. Intentional living. It says there, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be very careful then how you live. And so what the Greek is, is carrying here is the idea of accuracy and precision and close attention. That our lives would be lived intentionally. We don't want to simply drift through life, allowing external influences to determine who we are and what we do. And that's why we've been talking about marriage. That's why we've been talking about dating. Crave gave us such an excellent message last week. It's because we want to be intentional in the way that we date. We want to be intentional in the way that we conduct our relationships, our marriage, so that we're not being influenced by the world. And Paul gives us an example there of wise practice. Can you see it there? It's make the most of every opportunity. Here's some other ways of putting this. Making the most of your time. NASB, redeeming your time, buying up every opportunity. And then at the end of verse 15, Paul gives a reason for his instructions. Because the days are evil. The evil ways of the world are constantly working to get you off target. Jesus was talking about the times that we're living in, and this is what he said. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's Matthew 24, 12. As we approach the end times, and that was the context in which Jesus was saying this, things are going to become more and more wicked, and that wickedness is going to have more and more power to distract us, to take us off target. And it has the potential to cause our love to grow cold. And so that's why it's so important for us to be making the most of every opportunity. And then verse 17 is similar to verse 15 and 16. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. In other words, he's saying it the opposite way around. Before he was saying, be wise. And now he says, don't be foolish. Rather, understand what the Lord's will is. 
And we've already learnt that wise living stays on target by paying attention and making the most of every opportunity. That's what the Lord's will is. That's what pleases Christ and, and it fits his purposes for your life. So we need to be intentional um, in the way that we live. And then Paul goes on to talk about commanding um, spirit-filled living. So verses 18 to 21 has to do with spirit-filled living. And two weeks ago, we learned that being filled with the Spirit has everything to do with being controlled by the Spirit. In fact, the idea of being filled and being controlled, they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. I've got a few examples here. It says in John 16, 6, that you can be filled with grief. In Acts 13, 52, you can be filled with joy. In Romans 15, 14, you can be filled with knowledge. And so these examples are not foreign to us. If you're full of grief, it means that your grief will have an impact on every area of your life. It'll have an impact on your thinking. It'll have an impact on your emotions. It'll have an impact on the way you act as well. Look at this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. So can you see that those two things are very closely linked? When you're being filled with the Spirit, you're also being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is shining a light on Jesus so that you can see him and his truth in every area of your life, whether it's relationships, work, whatever it is, Jesus is being illuminated. And now in verses 19 to 21, Paul lists some of the results of being filled with the Spirit. Do you see them there? Singing by yourself in your heart. Just having that joy and happiness in your heart. Doing it with other people. Then some of the other ways that we do it is that we submit to one another out of love. And two weeks ago, we spent an entire sermon talking about what that submission looks like. And of course, this builds a bridge into today's topic because what we're talking about today is the roles in marriage. And we're not going to be able to fulfill these roles unless we engage the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do it. And that happens through being, submit, um, through being filled by him. So we need to keep our life on target with intentional living and spirit-filled living. And now we're going to talk about how we can keep our marriage on target by understanding the God-given roles that we have in marriage. Just a few starting comments. When you have a look at today's passage, you'll see that there are commands in there. Commands like wives, submit to your husband. Husband, love your wife. Wife, respect your husband and so on. This doesn't mean, folks, that the husband should not submit to his wife. It can't mean that because it says at the start, Paul says, submit to one another. He talks about mutual submission. It also doesn't mean that, for example, a wife doesn't need to love her husband because there it says, husbands, love your wives. What it means is that the husband and wife have been wired different, differently by God. And so each one has different needs and specific reminders based on the, the lack or the strengths and weaknesses of their role. 
And so, for example, women are more nurturing than men. They carry that aspect of, of the image of God inside of them. So they don't need a strong reminder to demonstrate sacrificial and caring love. But men, on the other hand, do. Because in the role that God has given us, which is a role of, of leadership and headship, we are less inclined to be caring and nurturing than women are. And so he gives commands that are common to both men and women, but he's doing it specifically as they relate to the different roles. So let's have a look now at the role of the husband. Verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. So what Paul is doing here is he's drawing an analogy between the headship of Christ over the church and the headship of the husband over the wife. It's like a metaphor. It's a comparison. Now what we need to be so careful to understand is that metaphors and comparisons have their limits over which they no longer apply. And so, for example, if I was watching Craig playing touch rugby and seeing him sprinting across the field and I say, yeah, that oak's a real cheetah. What I'm doing is I'm likening his speed with that of a cheetah. I'm not saying that he's got little pointy ears and a long tail. Thank God, because that might discredit us as a church. <laughs> And so in the same way, we need to know what aspect of Christ's headship over the church is meant to be reflected in a husband's headship over his wife. Is it to do with salvation? It hasn't, you know, because we know that Christ is the savior of the church. Husbands, you're not the savior of your wives. You might feel like you are, but you aren't. Um, the other area where this doesn't um, extend is Christ uh, disciplines the church. And there's a, a, a lot of conservative churches that would say that maybe um, husbands should be disciplining their wives. That's another example of where the metaphor just does not extend. So how does it? How does it extend? So let's have a look, first of all, in verse 24, where it said, headship implies responsibility. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Guys, what this is saying is that if your, if your wife is called to submit to you in everything, then it means you are going to be responsible before Jesus in everything and for everything. Remember the mutual submission command? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, remembering that he is a coming judge, that we're not going to give an, we're not going to give an account um, in order for, us to, for, it to, for, for God to decide whether we're saved or not, but rather he's going to be checking up and having a chat with us about the quality of our work and the decisions that we made as the leader of the family. So this headship is not a position of privilege, but it's one of responsibility. It's not one of power, but rather one of service. We are there to serve the family with the leadership mandate that God has given us. 
just as in the same way in an industry or in a business, although somebody has more authority in that business, they're using that authority to serve the people who are a part of the business and to serve the, the customers and the clients that they, that they have. So one of the ways that you'll lead your family is by facilitating good decision making. Let's have a look at this a little bit practically now. It'll require you to encourage communication. Now, men, I just know that we're not that good on communication. We generally tend to figure out what needs to be done, and then we tell everybody what to do. The problem with that is that it's not the kind of headship that we are called to. So if you can imagine that in any given situation, you have a pool of meaning. This comes incidentally from theory that's developed in a book called Crucial Conversations. So my pool of meaning is my experiences, my ideas, my opinions, my expertise, and my information. And Gail has a different pool of meaning because she's not me. And so what we want to do is to make sure that in the process of building consensus and making a decision and in leading the family, we get his meaning into the common pool of meaning and hers into the common pool of meaning. And I could also add children there and other members of the family. So as, as the, the head and leader of the family, you're taking responsibility to make sure that everybody gets a chance to be heard and understood. Even if you don't necessarily agree or different parties that are in the communication process don't fully agree, the first step is to understand. And that's because, remember I talked about expertise there? That's because if we want to make a good decision, then we need to get everybody's ideas and thoughts and expertise into the pool. It's so key. And I know that in some marriages, maybe, well, maybe the world would say the way a husband is meant to show headship is by controlling the finances. It's the husband who does it. But that's not necessarily true. Because maybe the wife has more expertise in that particular area. So the husband is still there as one who is providing leadership and headship, but he's drawing out the experiences and the knowledge that his wife has, getting it into the common pool of meaning so that we can make a good decision. And then the other thing about headship is that someone's got to make an ultimate decision. And so... What happens, it's very similar to what happens in the church context. We, we have a group of pastors and elders. We are all equal in value. Whenever we come to make a decision, we try to build consensus. We try to get all the meaning into the common pool. And then at the end of it, we've got to decide what to do. And I can't really think of an occasion when we haven't all agreed about what we should do. But if for whatever reason, the time comes where we can't agree, Somebody needs to make a decision, isn't it? Otherwise, by default, we're making no decision as a decision. And that's often just counterproductive. So somebody needs to make a decision. Someone needs to have a casting vote. And in God's economy, that's the husband. Because one day, he is going to be giving an account to God of how it all turned out. Secondly, headship requires sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Submitting your, to your wife in the marriage relationship 
means loving her sacrificially. It's about denying yourself for her good. And there's a special reminder here for husbands to do this. And that's because if we consider that submission is me ordering my rights and my privileges and my dreams under those of someone else, if I'm considering them as being more important than myself, wives seem to do that more naturally. They, they just do. They seem to, to think about the needs of others more naturally than men do. And so we need that special reminder. Remember also, we talked about the deep oneness that comes several weeks ago through marriage. And because of that deep oneness, when you become one flesh, when you become one entity, if I do something that is serving my self-interest at the expense of other people's rights and needs in the family, then I'm going to be harming myself. We need to get this right, because if we don't follow God's pattern for things, instead of it facilitating blessing, we will get broken on those blueprints and those requirements. So headship requires sacrificial love, taking care of your wife. I would just encourage you to, to look on the internet for a book called Love Languages by a man called Chapman. And the, the, the wonderful thing about this is it reminds us, and especially us as husbands, to speak a language of love that our wives understand. And there's five different love languages. It can happen that I could be doing things to try and show love to Gail, and because it's not her love language and she's not speaking the same language, she doesn't understand that I'm trying to tell her that I love her. And so, for example, if um, her love language is acts of service, she feels most love when I'm, when I'm doing things for her, when I'm serving her. If I try and do it by spending quality time with her, then she's not going to feel completely loved. And I'm going to end up frustrated because I'm, oh, I'm setting aside all of this time to be with Gail, when in actual fact what she really wanted me to do was to fix the leap, leaking tap. <laughs> so, sacrificial love. Men, try to figure out what your wife's love language is, and there's little surveys that you can do. It's very simple. You probably already have an inkling. And try every day to communicate love in that language so that they understand. So, firstly, headship is, um, implies responsibility. Second, it requires sacrificial love. And thirdly, it requires caring love. Have a look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Remember to take care of your wives. Remember to take care of your children. I find it very easy to get so caught up in, in, in work and also where we are going in the distance as a family that I'm not inclined to be as caring and loving as I should be. And so we need to do that. So, headship means responsibility and love. 
but it's a sacrificial and a caring love. Do you remember how Christ gave up his rights so that he could serve us and meet our need? That's the example that we're following. And let's move on to to wives now. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband's. I think in many ways we've covered the wives' instructions. So it's recognizing that because of the principle of mutual submission, Gail and I are equal. I'm not demanding her submission. I'm not demanding her obedience. Because as soon as I have to do that, that means that I've lost the plot. I'm not demanding it. But instead, I'm creating an environment where she is able to come and, and participate in the whole process of leading the family. And if we come to a point where we disagree and I ultimately have to make a decision, the one thing that we need to remember, wives, is that your husband is gonna be making, he's gonna be giving an account to God, he's gonna be answering to God for the final decision that he makes, which is a really tough place to be, I know, because Ultimately, someone's got to do it. And I think probably most wives would be quite happy to allow their husbands to make that final decision in in areas where they can't make up their mind because it means that the husband's going to have to answer to God. So we make it easy, we facilitate that headship, wives, by treating them with respect and also submitting. How does this sort of play itself out practically? Well, suppose, for example, husband and wife are trying to decide um, to, to move to another country or another town or another job. And they can't come to a consensus. They can't come to an agreement. The husband has got all of the opinions and the information and the emotions and everything. He's got it all into the common pool. Eventually, he's the one who needs to decide. And wives, when you submit to that, this means that if it goes wrong, that you don't say, I told you so. So important. Once we've made that decision, it's now become a unified decision. We've made it, and we're going to go for it. The last thing I wanted to talk about that's there is the idea of respect. Studies have shown that a man or or a husband's greatest need is for respect. So husbands, we need to make submission winsome by loving our wives, and our wives should facilitate, in other words, to make easy and pleasurable the husband's headship through respect and submission. So important. I would just like to, to say that it's, it's just so wonderful from my own experience when a wife um, appreciates her husband publicly. And I would encourage you wives to do that. Don't run down your husband in public. Sometimes when you're having a, dis- you're having a discussion or a disagreement about something um, and you can't get to an agreement or you're fr- frightened about bringing up a particular subject with someone that you love, what you tend to do is then do it in public. Um, and uh, I've seen that happening and that's, that's not a good thing either. That's not showing respect. 
And I must say, um, husbands, that if you, if you are loving and res respecting and cherishing your wife in private, then it's not going to be hard for her to respect you and to praise you in public. Just a, a final sort of closing comment on this. The model of marriage that describes here, described here is a target to aim for, and it requires commitment from both partners in order to make it work. And so for that reason, the model has got fairly limited application. For example, if you encounter a case where a wife is being abused by her husband, don't tell her to go back and submit. Because dealing with cases like that is not so simple. Many things need to take place before both the husband and the wife buy into the biblical model and the principles that apply. So just be so careful. This is, and, and, and as um, Christian couples, make a decision that you're going to submit to one another and use that concept of mutual submission that we've been talking about so much. But... If you come across a situation where one person is constantly always looking for their own interests, they're being abusive, maybe emotionally abusive, mentally abusive, even physically abusive, then don't say to the other party, go and submit. No, something else needs to be done there, probably something to do with tough love. And if you're in that place, more than welcome for you to come and chat to me about it. So let's just close it up, folks. I think it is so important for us as a congregation to be living intentionally because the time is short and evil is increasing all the time. We don't want the world standards to come in and get us off track. We want to be pleasing God. We want to be doing what his will requires us to do. And so I'd encourage you um, as you go away this week, as you move into your uh, marriages, just Remember this idea. Husband's headship is about responsibility. It's about sacrificial love. It's about caring love. And then wives, um, remember to submit to your husbands and show them respect. Shall we pray? <coughs> Father, we thank you for this time and we would like to ask for your blessing on every marriage relationship here. And Father, we also recognize that there, is, there are a lot of transferable principles here which apply to all relationships. And so I would like to pray in agreement with everyone here for a blessing on relationships at Harvest and also a blessing on marriage relationships. We pray that our marriages would point people to Christ. We pray that our relationships would point people to Christ so that they would change the trajectory of eternity, change the shape of eternity, attract people into your family, Father God, that wouldn't normally come. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.